You may take your Bibles and go to Matthew 16, 20-28 is where we will be today. As you turn there, last week we had this great climax so far of the Gospel of Matthew where Matthew, although he said from the beginning that Jesus was the Christ, then now a person who's... Uh, a human, be- a human being and not a demon is uh, confessing that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus praises Jesus, uh, uh, says, Blessed be you, because you have not found that out yourself, but my Father has shown that to you. So we have this like beautiful thing where we see, like, oh, this is who Jesus is. People are starting to understand that. And then, as we read today, and we talked about it in the Bible study, things are going to start changing because they don't know what God's plan is and who Jesus is and what he came to do. They have one opinion of who he should be, but not what he was going to do. So read from uh, 16.21, actually, not 20. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed on the third day and be raised. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, and they will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. So we just had the climactic thing last week. And now it's going to be about the disciples' expectations of what Jesus is going to do, and he needs to correct them. But it might also be a slightly hard sermon for us. Because what does he tell his disciples? And what is Jesus telling us? We see immediately there's a conflict of interests and expectations. Jesus is not fulfilling Peter's expectations of who Peter thinks Jesus should be. Jesus is plain. It's like people would say it's a 
something happens now from the Galilean uh, ministry to now we're going to move towards Jerusalem, our march of death, our march towards the cross. And Jesus is saying this plainly. You remember that he has said it twice in a, in a veiled to the Pharisees. When they twice demanded a sign, twice, twice, demanded a sign, Jesus will give you no sign except the sign of Jonah. The sign of Jonah was that Jesus was going to rise after he had been dead three days. Nobody really understands that. So now plainly Jesus says to them, things are going to change now. We're going to move towards Jerusalem where I must, I must suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes. And I'll be killed, and on the third day, I'll rise. So there's not only bad news. There's actually very good news. But maybe Peter gets caught up in the first part of Jesus dying because in his mind the Messiah cannot die he was going to live forever but Jesus wasn't filling his expectations the disciples are not really asking more questions about it but Peter Peter kind of jumps in some people say well maybe they're all thinking this and Peter is just the one speaking And Peter, he is very, very bold. You know, last week he just said to Jesus, you are the son of God. You are the promised one. And then Jesus lays out his plan. And then Peter is like, hey, I know you're the son of God. I just, I just have a better plan than you. You shouldn't suffer. You shouldn't die. That's a pretty bold. After last week where Jesus was like, you are blessed. The Lord has shown you a sign that I am who I am. I think if you can take the first quote slide up there. I thought he put it well when he said, having just received revelation from God, that was last week. Peter now, however unwillingly, rejects the revelation from the Son of God. He heeds instead the voice of Satan and confronts Jesus with the same temptation that Jesus feared he got from the enemy in the wilderness. When the devil was tempting him with a life where he would get everything in the whole world if we would just worship Satan or tempt God, Peter, although he had just had a huge revelation from God, now falls into his own presupposition of who Jesus would be and works for the enemy instead when he tries to tell Jesus he should not suffer and die. But like we've talked about the whole time, it is so easy to pick on the disciples because it's written in the book and they say strange things. But the, bigger, the, the big question for us today would be the same. Do 
we sometimes have a great relationship with who God is? But then when we read his word and we are confronted with it, we say, oh no, that's a better plan. I'll do, some, I'll do something else. If you, we look in culture, it's done all the time, and we can't blame culture for lots of things, but it's done all the time. Oh, if God is like that, or God should do that, or there's all these expectations of what a God should do. But there's no revelation of who he is. Again, culture is a little bit like the disciples. It's easy to blame different things on different people when it's so obviously wrong. But what about when we get confronted with it? What is it that we, or if we, have a wrong view of who Jesus is or who God is? Is that contingent on my expectation from culture or how I think God should ask, should ask, act? Do we have a right view of God? Peter had expectations of who Jesus was going to be. They were informed by the Old Testament, yes. But it was parts of the Old Testament. You could say maybe there was some some cultural appropriations of we need this kind of Messiah. Jesus on purpose calls himself the Son of Man, maybe to try to avoid that that label of what he was going to do. Jesus tries to quiet the people all the time. Jesus doesn't come just to be the king. He comes as a suffering servant from the suffering servant songs from Isaiah. But what about us? What expectations do we have with Jesus? (laughs) What expectations do we have of Jesus? And do they reflect who Jesus really is? Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Last week, it was, You are blessed. You have seen who I am. Now Jesus turns around saying, you are a hindrance, Satan. Last week you were the rock, now you are a stumbling block, a roadblock for what I'm going to do. You can just you can feel like maybe you feel like you're in Peter's shoes. You're like, well, I, I mean, I was just trying to help. I mean, I, I I was just trying to help you, Jesus. I mean, I was just trying to make you into what I want you to be and do. 
I mean, even if it costs all the world their forgiveness of sins and be restored to God, but at least you would fulfill my expectations. Oops. But we can, I mean, we can throw it away. That, I mean, that's Peter, you know, he walks on water, he confesses to Jesus, the Son of God. Now he gets called Satan. Later on, he's also the rock that denies who Jesus is. But what about me? There was this uh, thing I was thinking about. I was like, do I give more advice to God than I actually listen to his word? and what he asks of us. During our relationship, we have more suggestions to God than actually obey and listen to his word. Jesus says to him, You are setting, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We take just a moment and pause. What takes up most of our time? Money brain power so the things of God are the things of men like all my sermons this is never me wanting to punch you or anything it's always an invitation to come to Jesus not to shame or blame but to call back adjust the course if we are drifting another way. A call back to what is most important. And then Jesus is going to help us out because he's going to talk about it next. What does it cost to follow Jesus? I mean, it's free, right? free but it costs everything the salvation Jesus provides for us free for us all but understanding the gift of Jesus correctly he asks us to lay it all down like Myers and Sachi was saying when we sing those songs about surrender Are we really going to surrender everything? What is the cost of discipleship? What is the cost of following? Jesus knows what's going to happen to his disciple. He knows what we are going to live, what kind of world we are going to live in. So we need to ask us these questions. 
they are diagnostic questions of us if we have no intention of living this way and instead pleasing the culture around us. We have to take a look at if we are really know who Jesus is. Because he says in 24, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's the journey Jesus is going to take. Where they're all going now, Jesus is going to walk this out in front of their eyes. Discipleship costs us everything. Why? Because if we understand that Jesus is Lord God, Savior, we cannot live for our own plans. If we submit to Jesus in his words, we will deny ourselves. We'll give up our own will and live for the will of God instead, following God by the Holy Spirit's guidance. Again, this is Jesus, because it's so counterintuitive for us that you are supposed to come and die and give up yourself and deny yourself. Yes, but for Jesus, it's this gracious invitation where he's inviting us into something that's way better. So death is good because there can be resurrection. But we're more like, I don't really want to die and I don't really want to deny myself. But Jesus is inviting us to the end through this gracious invitation. No, it is way better that you die so you can live. So the words can be, I deny yourself, die, come and follow me, take up the cross. It's very pictures, pictures. It's a picture that they know well of shame, condemnation. A person that's taken the cross and walking is walking the path of death. But Jesus calling into that is a yoke that's easy and, that's easy and light. But it requires death. And denying ourselves to submit to God because of what Jesus has done. And that is what Jesus' life and resurrection resurrection and coming God points us out to us. Uh, Slide number two. This is a common misunderstanding in Christian circles of what taking up the cross is. Taking up the cross does not mean carrying burdens or having problems. I once met a lady who told her me her asthma was a cross she had to bear. To take up the cross means to identify with Jesus in his resurrection, shame, suffering, and death. So it's not some kind of problem. It's giving you, giving all over to Jesus to be identified with him. And that can cause rejection, shame, and suffering, and even death. If you take the next one. Taking up his cross refers to the death march of the Christian disciple, who is figuratively sentenced to crucifixion over his decision to follow Christ. The Christian must be prepared to give his life for Jesus. 
Following me requires the disciple to follow my follow the example of the master, emulating Jesus' character and behavior. We do not have any low standard here. It is trying to follow after Jesus and what he did and the call Jesus has to true life. And it is so difficult to maybe for us to see that the death of ourselves will be the resurrection of what God has in us and for us. And Jesus explains this gracious invitation in 25 where he says, whoever would save his life will lose it. If we try to conserve our lives, we will lose it. We will die. It will run through our fingers. But if we give it up for Jesus, we will find real life in him. When we try to hold on, that's what I said, like it's like gas or sand or water. We cannot hold it in our hand. It will fall out and it will end in death. It's not possible for us to conserve our lives and try to save them. That's why he's asking us to die and to deny ourselves because we can't do it. We can't hold on to our old lives and the lives where we live for to build our own kingdoms. And he also says, "Why in twenty six? For what? What? What are you going to get?" Like, so he ended in in the wilderness. Jesus was faced with this temptation. He could get the whole world, but what was that going to profit if he had to worship the evil one? Here he talks about what, what, what profit can we get in this world if it all leads to death anyway? And if we have to forfeit our soul. Most of the things in this world, some person said, is going to end up in the dump, in the trash. What's money worth when you're dead? The things, the trinkets, the toys. Whatever it is that we can be tempted to live for has an expiration date as well. That's why Jesus is inviting us into this totally different way of life where it's about Him, not about building our own kingdom. And even if we got the whole world, we would still lose our soul. Then what are we supposed to give? You can't give anything or buy that back. So, I mean, what is that for us? What are we tempted with to live for instead? Some dream we have, some job we have, some things with our family, our sports, car, houses, spouse, the one, the money, the, a name for oneself. I was thinking about that. Oh, we have a name, a statue about ourselves. Yeah, statues are pooped by on birds. There's nothing that we can get that will last. And we will 
Will we buy that nothing with our soul? Jesus is asking us not to, but instead, come and surrender to him. And Jesus also asks, or, or um, says in the end there, he says like, because what's going to happen? He's going to come back with his angels in glory, very awesome glory. And he will repay each person according to what he has done. So we spend our whole time living our own lives, building our own kingdom, not using the gifts and the talents that we have had. We're not really going to get rewarded for that. But isn't it, we know that we're Protestant in background, but isn't it by grace alone? Yes, salvation is by grace alone. It's by the finished work of Christ. But if we don't change after understanding who Jesus is, we've got to ask ourselves if we truly believe in who he is. Because there's no such thing as, oh, Jesus is my Savior, but he's not my Lord. No, he is. He cannot be one. He is who he is. Because then we misunderstand who Jesus is. He is Lord. He did come. So he didn't come so we could have our sins. This is the one, if you've been here before, this is what really mm, irritates me sometimes when people say, no, no, Jesus came to die so I could have my sin. No, he did not. He came so that he, we could have our sins put to death so we don't have to be controlled by them. The dreams of our own kingdom, our own plans, or our sexuality, or our political party, or our monies of idols, or the praise of men, or the fear of men, Jesus came to take those things away. And free us from them, not to give them to us. So I ask to come and die to those things. To not live for these temporary things that's not going to satisfy to walk in true life in Christ. It is not easy, but it's the best and only true life that will last. Jesus repaying us is about the talents we've been given, the money, the time, our relationships, everything we have. How have we stewarded that well? We come back and Jesus is like, yeah, I gave you all this stuff, you know. I mean, I was building my own kingdom. I was thinking you were coming a little bit later, that I had more time. I had to do this first, or I have to do that first. What we do does matter. And that is good, because it is an invitation to be the stewards of what God has given us. we can be stewards to tell people about his grace and mercy and love towards us about his justice what Jesus is calling to us as as accountability we should not be living for ourselves but instead following him and that requires that we deny ourselves take up our cross look at daily so Jesus can live in us 
and let his work happen in us. Why daily? Isn't this thing a one-time thing? Yes and no. Like, it is one thing, but we reaffirm that choice every day. Why? Because we grow every day. Every day we're grown. Some, maybe we, uh, we grow bigger, we're stronger. But we also, sometimes we accumulate more things. Children, wife, not wives, wife, and uh, cars, and or lots of other things. We, we get more gifts. And then one thing leads to another, and you're in a different, totally different place than when we were a poor student. But what about all those new things? Are they given over to God, or have they become idols now? And you will not lay that down. When is the last time you gave it all to God? What are the things that are now on the table in your hands that, oh, I, I didn't even, oh, thank you, God, but I didn't even know I got them. I, I, I guess I forgot to give them back to you. I think it was French and Chen in one of the Bible studies. He says, sometimes we have to look at our life and be like, okay, well, life is totally different now. God has blessed me immensely. I gave my, I gave my all when I was a student, poor, broke. Now I have a better life. I have all these friends. I have the, this good job. I have these things. Am I still all in? Is my all still given to God after he has given all those things? Or even the other way around, I'm getting old. I forgot my glasses. I have a harder time hearing than I used to have. I'm losing my hair. Like, can I give that to God? And be okay? Or will I rebel all the way? <laughs> I don't want to get old. I cannot be old. Like, what, what, is it a good thing? Like, what, can't... <laughs> I'm just trying to say, like, are we giving everything that is us to Jesus daily? Or do we hold on to these things when we're just simply robbing ourselves of life and probably working the other team instead? Everything we have is not ours anyway. The gifts and talents we've been given is well. Who made our body? God did. All give good. All good. All good gifts come from above, as James says. Everything we had is have as good as God's. Is is gifts of God. So He asks us to be accountable with it. What will we do with it? So it's not just the the offering is not just God's money. Every, all money you have is God's. All the time you have is God's. All your pieces of your body and your brain is God's. All the time. So how will we use it? Again, it sounds, and I know it sounds that, or at least that's how I read it. It sounds so difficult. But really, it is Jesus drawing us in with a gracious invitation to like, you are living for something that will be destroyed if you don't give it up. It's a gracious invitation to call, Jesus is calling us to himself constantly. That we continually deny ourselves and follow him is true life. And Jesus shows us the way. 
as the writers of Hebrews says, he denies himself, empties himself when he comes into the world. From all powerful to a helpless baby. Into the world that was created through him. When it was perfect, now a fallen world, broken. Feeling all the things that we did of, of suffering and sin. And when even he is getting beaten and killed, he does not revile back, but says to his father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I have far and much growing needed before I would say that to any of my enemies that was hurting me. Jesus did take up his cross and follow God to death. The death over people's sins that they might have life in him and be freed from bondage of sin, shame, pain, and guilt and the works of the evil one. Jesus is calling his followers then and now to do the same, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow. Why? Because that's what we were made for. So I am to die? Yes. Just like Jesus' death. It's not the end. In dying daily, there's a resurrection in Jesus. And we can live with Jesus to the glory of God because he rose. We can rise. New eternal life daily with Jesus. One of the good things about death, being dead, is you don't have to fear death. You're already dead. We don't have to fear people and what they think about us because we're already dead. We don't have to fear Jesus coming back. Why? Because we've given it all to him. Jesus is going to come back and there's no fear. Because he's going to come back to reward and repay. Now I think as we're sitting here there might be three responses or maybe more responses. I came up with three. You've heard the words and you're like I don't care. Whatever. I'll do what I'll do. Okay, you heard the words. You heard the gracious calling to Jesus and you don't care. Okay, I mean, I would ask you to reconsider. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to do those things. I'm not going to die myself. I'm going to live myself. Okay, I mean, I would ask to reconsider. Jesus is giving this gracious invitation and yes, it will cost you everything but Jesus showed who he is and he showed in his life and his death who he is and his resurrection. He is coming back to judge the living and the dead. So one, you don't care. Okay. Two. Maybe more popular. I don't know. You are bothered by Jesus' words. Because they don't fit your plan. 
Maybe even during the sermon, Jesus has pointed out things you need to change. Things you need to deny. Things that aren't dead. <coughs> then in some areas you've not taken up your cross and followed. And I know Jesus can be that annoying. But it's really just drawing you to himself again. Asking you to give up whatever's in that hand so you can be set free to truly live. What is it? Why is it not laid down at Jesus' feet? It's the safest place. And you can't hold it anyway. Is Jesus really just trying to free you from this? Something you're not supposed to carry anyway. I'll commend you and say it's a good sign you're bar- bar- it's a good sign you're bar- bar- bothered. But will you act? Deny yourself. Will you ignore what Jesus is asking? Third, you have been sitting the whole sermon saying, Yes, amen, praise the Lord. So true, so true. Jesus has been so faithful since I've done this. I do this every day. Preach it. I, I love it. Yes, yes, yes. You've been sitting there and you've been enjoying it the whole time. And you're just, you're just like so thankful for Jesus. And you've seen in your life how every time you lay down your life, Jesus has come through and given you true life. Well, that's praise the Lord. You're not afraid. You are looking forward to Jesus coming back. You can't wait. You understand that this is God's love for you. That Jesus helped you die and deny yourself so you could really live. And you're going to continue to live as he's coming back in glory. Praise the Lord. Of course, we all want to like, like to be the th- number three. If you're one, please consider. If you're two, it's a good, okay place to be. Because you want to follow Jesus. Three, you are blessed. Where are you? Be honest. God knows. It's an invitation for you to draw near to God. Not to run away. And then Jesus ends with a somewhat puzzling statement that some of his disciples would not die until they see him coming in his kingdom. And that is where we'll end today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, here in fire, I um, I thank you so much for letting us go through Matthew. Thank you for our, your word to us. Thank you, Jesus, for challenging us so much every time. Thank you so much for your gracious invitation to come and deny ourselves and follow you. 
as we take up our cross. Lord, I pray for all of us for clarity of where are we with this. We were so clear in the beginning. It was like we laid out all of our lives for you. Everything. What about now? Have things clouded us out? Are we blinded to so many things we are living for instead of you? Help us to see. Help us to lay them down. Help us to see that it's a gracious invitation, Jesus. And praise the Lord that you do many things. You do wonderful things. The death that comes, the denying that comes, the following of you, the identifying with you, although suffering gives glory and brings life. Lord, help us believe those things are true. Help anyone who is just, you know, in the first one, but considering you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, will you open up people's eyes to see, to turn, to be the first time to say, Jesus, I'm going to give you my all. For the people in number two, Lord, I ask by your Holy Spirit, you are convicting and helping us lay those things down that are hindering a life in you. Lord, remind us each morning that it's by your grace and your mercy that we are here and that we have submitted all to you. Forgive me and us when we get offended and frustrated because people are annoying and all those things where it becomes all about how we feel things should be. Grow us, help us, I ask. Will you hold us fast to this? Will you give us ears to hear? Help us to act on these things. And the third one, Lord, there's this word, gracious life you invite us into where we see you're working. You have done so many things and you are still doing so many things. It is true life in you to die, to rise in you. So we ask that you continue to do that. And that people would, we will be marked as a fellowship, as dead people come to life in you. And all we're showing to you as much glory and praise. Thank you that you even extend the invitation for us. You're a good God. And that invites us in. You don't leave us in our sins, but asks us to come out of it. To you. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen.